Hi, I'm Aram learning to play with his sword for the first time. Dalen. And I am one of the two rivers, not the one from the previous episode, but the other one, Eric. <laughs> and I'm Suan with a fuck ton of Botox delusions of Grendel. <laughs> I'm assuming swearing's okay. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't change anyway, but you know, <laughs> E for explicit. Oh my god, that is a crown jewel. Um, <laughs> and welcome to Loyal's Book Club, a podcast dedicated to dissecting and discussing Robert Jordan's epic fantasy series. The Wheel of Time. And we have a very special guest with us. We have the lovely and wonderful Delusions of Grendel. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and be the first guest. Yes. So um, if you want to kind of give your little backstory to uh, your intro into The Wheel of Time and uh, a little bit about uh, your podcast, which is amazing y'all if you haven't checked out feather and mountain it is fucking amazing oh well, thank you um yeah my journey started uh just uh, 21 and a half years ago now i think Twas december of 99 <laughs> was a wee 11 year old lass um basically similar to sarah nakamura my older brother hooked a book at me and was like you should probably read this and i said okay cool i started reading wheel of time almost simultaneously with sort of truth there was a really unfortunate period of time in my life where I actually preferred Sword of Truth to Wheel of Time. We don't speak about that. I was in grade seven. It, it you know, it's not excusable, but I think it's understandable. Um, I quickly, uh, quickly overcame that little uh, stint um, and have been obsessed with Wheel of Time ever since. I was on the book forums, you know, back in the day when we were speculating wildly about how many books there would be, um, you know, other thing, other theories and events that uh, our dear Eric has not gotten to yet, oh, yeah. so we will not discuss, um, <laughs> but spending uh, a large portion of my time on that under the alias Constance Sedai nice. um, as a former Redwall fan um, had to, had to uh, shout one out for my girl Constance the Badger um, then there was a brief period of time in my life where I had to do schooling things which went on for far too long uh, seven years plus and so I kind of fell out of touch with the um, community missed a certain um, the drop of a certain uh, television show that shall not be named uh back in 2015 and uh got into the fandom again after like my upteenth uh reread in the fall of 2019 um just uh, i think it was shortly after the emmonsfield 5 casting so i'd seen all of that stuff on twitter and then nice. slowly got into the discord of it all and uh here we are started up um a podcast uh feather and mountain that's uh show based so we're not we're not going to do the first time reader thing but it is a first time viewer and never reader so it's uh, myself and my co-host uh virgil who hasn't read the books never will read the books maybe um and we're kind of going through the show which we now know is dropping definitively in 2021 i am <laughs> which... so excited like i haven't been able to think about anything else since they released that like 
title card. Like, all I've been able to think about. Like, as of the date of this episode that we're recording, there's 178 days left in the year. 178 days in which the Wheel of Time show can drop. I'm excited. That is what insane. a time to be alive. <laughs> what a time. To be in live. Indeed. What a time. Well, actually, and you know what? Uh, if I can jump in a little bit, uh, what a time for me to be reading because I could not, if, if, if we were in a time where I was still waiting to see how many books <laughs> there were going to be in this <laughs> oh series, because uh, don't get me wrong, the only series I've done that with was Harry Potter. Uh, yeah. And we knew. Up. We knew it was seven. Exactly. Yeah. So... Uh, hardly any type of pain uh, that that you've had to <laughs> gone through in your current reading time. Well, especially because, like, you know, tragically, Robert Jordan did pass away in 2007, just after Knife of Dreams was published, which was the 10th book in the series. Book 11, yeah. Oh, book 11, my bad. Um, and so there was... A two-year gap. There was a bit of a gap between Knife of Dreams and The Gathering Storm in finding Brandon Sanderson, and then the whole, okay, it's going to be three huge books versus just one large tome, you know? Yeah, so I'm very grateful that I started reading in 2018 when <laughs> all of the books were completely published, but I got to be that, like, newbie going, what's this? Ice... I Sedai? What do you mean, Swan A-C-D. got to post? A D. What do you mean? <laughs> um, and it's so awesome to have a first-time reader kind of live vicariously through him because I will say, and, you know, I have read, you know, very limited in terms of fantasy, Stormlight Archive, Cosmere, Wheel of Time, Harry Potter, Game of Thrones. I feel like Wheel of Time has its place as probably one of the best fantasy series because of the sheer scope and you know it has its moments but at the same time you can't deny just there are moments that pack an emotional punch yeah and it's it's one of the things now that i'm so fucking jaded with wheel of time because it's been so many years that like all i do is pick it apart and like say like here's the flaws and it's so wonderful to be on with first-time readers and to listen to first-time reader podcasts because they really like rejuvenate my old crusty cabbage soul (laughs) like remind me you know not not that I need to be reminded why I love the series but they just like really like Eric you really highlight what is so great about Wheel of Time yeah because you're not going through you know on your 15th reread and picking it apart and saying like oh well you know let's impose today's westernized standards in the 21st century yeah. on a book that was written back in 1994 yeah. um, and criticized the author endlessly for it. So it's, it's nice. It's yeah. like a, it brings a smile and it's just nice to be reminded that books can be fun. Yeah. You can enjoy <laughs> a book without finding the problematic aspects at every turn. Constantly. Uh, yes. But no, it is like you said it, you know, having gone through the series and experienced everything you know i think it is really nice to have a first time reader and like i said there are some gut punches in this book that really hit home and especially coming up in this series these next two books have endings that are very rough 
but I'm very excited because you you know me whenever we talk episodes and stuff I I think the the criticism I give the most is it's a bit formulaic there's a bit of a you know the thing we got to get everybody goes together and meets at the end and there's a bit of a showdown and it's it's well written and it's well done but it is I'm 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 ready for those gut punches I, I am and I'm not <laughs> so do you want to see Rand in the clouds again yeah <laughs> Fighting a Shamael. I'm unclear. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Totally do. But just, I, I respect to when, you know, an author takes a chance and really does something, you know, a little offbeat. Like, even in the uh, chapters we're going to discuss right now, there's one event that happens that I was just blown away by. That I did not see it coming. Didn't see it coming in this book. And uh, talking to Dalen pre-show on the last episode, talking about how, like, but I kind of agree with the players that made those choices. Like, it all makes sense, and it all fits so well. And uh, I'm, I'm really starting to get wrapped into the, just, the universe that is yeah. being yeah. built. Oh, yeah. But I think we should just dive on in into this, uh, this world. And we are going to be starting with Chapter 45, The Tinker's Soul. So I cruelly ended on the last episode on a cliffhanger because we just saw the Emmonsfield fight their first wave of Trollocs and then they hear noise coming from the south. And, you know, it's not Emmonsfield without the Coplins and the Congars causing trouble, you know? One second they love Perrin Golden Eyes and then the next second they are shooting at innocent tinkers. So Coplin's gonna Coplin. Coplin's gonna Coplin. And Sen Bui's there. You know, he has to be there. Um, but they get there and they're like, we did it. We killed these Trollocs. And they see these fucking people like hiding behind the wall. And Perrin's like, bro, are you guys fucking stupid? Like, look at the yellow. It's fucking Tinkers. Like, do Tinker, do Trollocs really wear that much, like, that bright clothing? Like, sometimes. It is a little nefarious, though, because while I don't think the Coplins and the Congars are truly evil people, like, I, they had to have known those are Tinkers. And I think that prejudice of the Tinkers, and it's spoken, they say, they'll steal your children, convert them to the way of the leaf, they steal anything that's nailed down. What's funny is I found out uh, the name for the Romani people, I believe, in Ireland is the Tinkers. So it's this, like, oh, oh interesting. Huh. So the I they will I they'll keep it in the show because it's not a like if they use the G slur it's like oh, come on you know but yeah it's a very because you because you want to try to believe these Edmonds field but it's like prejudice is always everywhere. Well, it's a good highlight too because I mean we just recently saw you know kind of the best of the two rivers you know these people really stepping up and fighting for the home and everything but then you flip it around and you kind of you don't forget this is a very isolated insulated land and yeah. you know <laughs> people in those situations tend to be uh problematic to say the least but on so on that we get like days days conger who yeah. she comes out and she's like um no tankers in this town. Like you can go twiddle your pots uh, away from here. And parents like, you're just going to throw them to the Trollocs. And she was like, oh, sir, I would never yeah. bring them here. Um, my question, Eric, 
Taviran or just sound reasoning? What do you think? Ooh. Oh, that's a good freaking question. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go with sound logic because I like the idea of, of the growth, the actual natural growth and not everything happening by luck, but these are people and people can change and people can, you know, become more empathetic and become more reasonable. So I'm going to go with some character growth on this one. Nice. Logical. Yeah, go tinker your pots somewhere else. Not here. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. So, yeah, I love the shift of uh, Daisy Congar being, like, the one who's, like, throwing stones to, and then the second she gets, like, hey, what about you're going to let children die? I, I would never. Are you kidding me? Uh-uh. So... The Tinkers get warm reception. They are led into uh, Emmons Field. And Perrin has a new duty. He is now, like, almost a mayor, almost. Like, because now everybody's like, hey, Perrin, take care of this problem for me. Hey, pa-, like, dragged all over the village of, like, settling disputes now. And it's... Yeah, if this were Facebook, he'd be appointed the mayor of the Two Rivers easy. Perrin Sorry, Brand. the... Uh, young millennial put in charge of the zoom meetings for the women's council <laughs> and uh what is uh what's the male version of the women's circle the mayor's council um, is, is that what, yeah, what do they call it? Village, yeah. council. village council it is village parent council. being texting going parent i can't hear daisy you have to unmute yourself how do i do that it's like oh my god like parent like is it here the unmute button do i just click, click the unmute like, button parent fully has to drive to like with Congar to send Bui and like he's literally in his like pickup truck just going two <laughs> minutes down the street and it's like Perrin, Perrin can you help fix this? Perrin you can do this right? Uh, and so and I will say th- this part right here like with uh, everyone going to him and stuff very to Baron. like I believe that we are witnessing the songs that will be sung hundreds of years from now it's like being written about Golden Eyes oh yeah yeah well, and I love, I love, I just called it the Daily Chores Taviran game. Oh <laughs> Where Perrin just wanders about and then, like, does, like, Taviran. Yeah. Uh, Taviran. Uh, sprinkle some over there. <laughs> Give me a little bit of my Taviran. <laughs> no, but I love the last duty he really has is he's talking to this uh, mother who's like, well, what do I do with my kids all day? Where do I let them play? And he's just like, do you normally have this issue? No. Okay. Like, literally just, do, do you, you I guess. Don't let him drink the sprinkler water in the park, I guess. <laughs> Parents slowly becoming Leslie, no. <laughs> just, oh my god. And Fahil is Ann Perkins. Yes. Or Gall. Gall is Ann Perkins. Gall. Because I can just see Perrin talking to Gall. Yes. As Leslie. <laughs> talks to Anne, you beautiful iron <laughs> goddess oh my god um but a light-hearted sort of chapter becomes very sad um as you know parent is sitting down for lunch and you know natty Cawthon and bodwin and other sis elwin eldwin i believe they are all making eyes at aram aram is so this is a detail we forgot to add. The Trollocs attacked the Tinker Camp the night before. And um, so uh, true to our word on Loyal's Book Club, we forget to mention things. So 
you know, the girl, the young girls are fawning over Arm. He's this handsome young man. And Arm begins to wander around the room looking at the weapons. And he asks Perrin, like, whose are these? And Perrin goes, it's, you know, whoever you want to do it. And Perrin is kind of watching it happen. And Arum picks up a sword from the uh, barrel sitting at the bottom of the staircase, fulfilling Min's viewing of the Tuathan with a sword and giving us our chapter title. And Perrin chokes on his food when he sees Arum taking the sword. It's such a huge moment to see that moment fulfilled and the emotional impact that it has and when i was rereading this section i thought of um the moment in the aiel flashbacks to the young man who's who went with a couple of other daishan aiel like a couple girls had been kidnapped from the uh wagons and in the ensuing rescue effort they killed two men and or not two men, the men who had captured them. And when they got back to their camps and they'd find and the Daishan had found out what they'd done, they were exiled and said, You are not Aiel. Yeah, this this is a like this passage never like I cry every time I it's, read this. It is just such a visceral reaction from both um I, I what do I say? Do I say Illa? Isla? I don't know. I haven't listened to the audiobooks. Yeah. Don't judge me. Oh, no, ju- no, no judgment is. here. Nineneve? Nineneve? But no, it, uh, she's like begging him to put it down. And we find out Aram's mother was killed by the Trollocs. And that hits Perrin. That cuts Perrin deep because he expresses regret of not being able to be there for his family when they were killed. And um, Aram asks for help using it. And Perrin is kind of like, Perrin does this thing when faced with emotions, he kind of shuts down. And I think he does that here. And this is the passage that cut that. This is the passage that wrecked me. Tears rolled down Illa's contorted face. The Trollocs took my daughter. She sobbed her entire body shaking and all my grandchildren but one, and now you take him. He is lost because of you, Perrin Ibarra. You have become a wolf in your heart, and now you will make him one too. Turning, she stumbled back up the steps, still racked with sobs. I could have saved her, Arm called after her. Grandmother, I could have saved her. She never looked back, and when she vanished around the corner, he slumped against the banister weeping. I could have saved her, Grandmother. I could have... No, if there's one specific thing that Jordan gets really right in the series, it's that survivor's guilt. Uh, you know, the just talking about like the psychology of war and everything, this does not glamorize it or anything. It's just a very much a a ripple of consequences and how we deal with it. And, you know, like you were saying before, he has military background and experience. And it, this was one of the more personal ones in that way where you just see like in a very small, like small moment, just this real real human reaction and moment and it's uh it's heavy yeah and there's i mean with with Perrin, part of what i i really struggle with Perrin is that he relies so heavily on his ability to smell emotions that he rarely communicates um and that being said i did find this moment really true to character because Perrin didn't feel the need to justify his decision 
but we know um, with Aram and, and with him basically saying every man has a right to defend himself and his family, um, it was just very powerful. And I think uh, many other books may have taken this opportunity to have like a pedestal speech yeah. where, you know, Perrin could stand up and make this grand declaration about like a man's castle and... Um, if it were a Fast and the Furious movie, oh there'd be reference oh, to no. family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's really nice that Jordan, um, you know, he just knows his, his character yeah. so intimately that we don't need to go down that. We can just hear from Perrin. We know that, he, you know, he's a deep thinker. There's a lot more going on behind his decision, but he only communicates like the actual, um, his, his, his ultimate decision in, in this, which is just go find Tam Althor, tell him I told him uh, that yeah. you'll teach him the sword or he'll teach you the and, sword. You know, I think it's, I feel like with this story, it, there's, the wheel is a cycle and, you know, nothing in this story happens for a reason. Wait, yeah. Um, nothing in the story happens without a reason. And I think there's a specific reason why um, we have Rand seeing the split of the Dai Shen Ail and Perrin seeing the split of the uh, Tinkers and Aram. It's both of these men are dealing with sort of parallel arcs at the moment of struggling with a leadership that didn't really, they weren't really asking for it. It just came to them, you know? Rand didn't ask to be the Karakarn. He just did what was right and what he felt that he needed to do. Perrin didn't want to become Perrin Golden Eyes. He just wanted to save his family and then after that, save his village, you know? Yeah, I think that thematic bell is being rung yet again of we this is very much a a tale of a time of change, you know, and not just change thrust on you, but change that you choose to do. And I mean, literally he makes the choice to take the sword you know, and leave that, that culture behind and stuff. And we're, we're seeing that. And I think, you know, <laughs> as you guys were so cryptic about it earlier, uh, it has consequences, you know, choices ripple throughout time. And oh, yeah. it, you can always trace everything happening to the choices that were made books ago, even. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, this is just nice that we do get the same, like the parallels in the same book, you know, we see um, the initial divergence from the way of the leaf uh, back in the columns of Ruidian and then now we get it on a much more yeah. intimate and personal level right like Aram is a character we've known from yeah. Eye of the World um, who like could be hotter than Will Alcine <laughs> we don't know that's up to the yeah. ladies to figure out um, but we've known him since Eye of the World we've, we've watched him as uh, Master of the Deck had pointed out in chat we've seen him a little bit struggle and chafe at the way of the leaf and the restrictions on it as early as then. And now after watching his mother die in front of him, like we don't even see that. I, I'm sure we'll get it in the TV oh, yeah. show that moment because I think it's going to be so much more impactful if we, the viewer actually witness that and get attached to um, Aram played by oh, Daryl I will McCormack, post the, uh, who is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. I'll post the casting man. of um, the, uh, main three tinkers uh in the chat because mm -hmm. it is fantastic casting unexpected casting on the hand of uh, maria doyle kennedy who we had all she we had all suspected she was going to be uh elida and we were like elida elida 
Swan, Swan. Swan, Swan. Oh, Tinker. Okay. But we have Sophie Okonedo as Swan Sanche, and I smell the Emmys already. Wafting, um, wafting. Um, but yeah, that uh, just having the connection to the reader um, in this moment, I think, you know, makes it that much more impactful, even though we did see it in, in the columns of Ruridian. It was one perspective. It was a couple pages long. It wasn't a character like Aram that we can, you know, at least a little bit uh, empathize yeah. and understand. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a heavy scene and it's, I mean, yeah. what a page, the confrontation with Illa and Aram, but it absolutely destroys me and every it, time. Like it resonates. Cause I think Fail can even sense how much it hurts parent because he turns and he sees like mistress uh, Natty Cawthon and like the, like just everyone's shooting daggers at him. And he's just like, I did what I had to. He, every man has a right to defend himself. And he looks at Fail, who just kind of looks hurt. She says, I hate seeing you upset. You know, I, yeah. Another yeah. great Fayil moment. Like I think that, and when she did the, your mother is dead, your father is dead. That I think she just, she doesn't, mince shit with him she doesn't go like you did what you needed to i'm so proud of you sweet she's just like it sucks i know but like i don't like seeing you like this and we kind of have to move on you know and we do in a sense move on because uh master alvir pops his head in and goes hey by the way uh white cloaks so uh everyone bounces out and lord luke you know, prances in his pony, and it's just like, hi, guys, what are you doing? And it's like, we've just killed a bunch of Trollocs. Cute. I've done better. And, like, he has, like, the Fade's head in a bag. He's like, did you all do that? Did you all kill a Fade? It's a Fade, fade in, in a, a bag. <laughs> it's a Fade in a bag, babe. Oh my, it's my Fade in a bag. <laughs> oh, my God. Luke, I when I first read Luke, I looked at him as uh, Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart. Like, oh just that, like, posturing. And I'm like, if they do... Well, no, actually, there's another character who I just want as flamboyantly gay as humanly possible. But Lord Luke is just fucking ridiculous. Um, so... We get to see Dane Bornhold, and Dane Bornhold is uh, not looking at Perrin with the uh, best of looks, I think. Or the soberest of eyes. Shit face. He's a (laughs) They He literally came from brunch, and they were like, oh shit, we have to go back to work. And he is like (laughs) on his horse, like just wobbling a bit, like leaning on Jared by like, you're close enough you can you can hear muttering just keep it together keep it together keep it together (laughs) you will sell this house you will sell this house no i on this reread i've kind of empathized a bit with dane bornhall a bit because i can kind of see that there's a moment in like his first pov when we meet him outside of the white cloak camp where he kind of says he likes going to this tavern near watch hill and he just kind of likes being by himself with this group of people and you get this sort of human glance into this what 23 24 25 year old dude raised under propaganda and kind of had no choice to get out of it and you know dealing with the death of his father and really having no power and really getting justice for 
it with Perrin is all he has. And he cling. Well, that yeah, and Brandy. Legit. All he's got. And, you know, so I feel for him in a bit. He's, it's, but, you know, his little crush on Perrin is a little, it's a little too apparent. A little too apparent. Hey. <laughs> what? Hey. Hey. Hate sex. Cue drum roll. Just let them have hate sex in the uh, <laughs> show. Rafe, Rafe, I know you listen to this. You know what we want. Give it, Give it to Do it, people. Amazon. Do it, you cowards. Do it. Yeah. This is like when the white cloaks show up. This might be one of my favorite Perrin quotes of all time. He hated having to think quickly. <laughs> yeah, because... Relatable. Mood. I feel like Perrin is just Perrin thinks of his fast food orders like a day in advance, like, you know. And I think the white cloaks are just kind of like, "You're under arrest. You're coming back with us. You're gonna be a dark. You're gonna testify in the Dome of Truth as a dark friend." And Brand steps in and goes, "No, no, no. He's no dark friend." And Perrin just kind of goes, "Uh, uh." fuck it, arrest me after I deal with the Trollocs, and it's just like, no! And I want Fahil to just go, what did I just fucking say? He is very quick for the self-sacrifice play, for sure. I don't, I don't think that's ever in question. <laughs> yeah. I think, it's like, when in doubt, get myself killed? No! Like, there's other options, my dude. You could think of other... Yeah, he's, he's a little murder yeah. wannabe. Pear bear. But um, how do you think this yeah. is going to play out, Eric? So he's basically said, come to my window. <laughs> like he's Melissa Etheridge inviting the white cloaks in. And um, yeah, like what are your, what? because we've only read till the end of chapter 48, right? Oh, yeah, you correct. haven't read beyond. So how do you think this is going to So unfold? in the last episode, I made a prediction that the next book is probably going to be a bit more Two Rivers focused and based. I think they're going to be a major player like in the final battle or leading up to it. And this involvement right here is, I thought the white cloaks were going to be a total separate party player kind of dealing just a bit of an obstacle. I'm thinking that white cloaks and two rivers are going to join forces somehow, some way. I think, I think there's going to be a team up and I think Perrin and, and Dane's connection is kind of the, the, uh, the, the joiner of that interesting so like a bit of a half like i think i can see the enemy of the my enemy is my friend exactly going up against uh pot and fang exactly so i i see a team up happening in the future all right all right let's see if we can put also can we can we talk about the moment where um dane is like wait you know ordeth (laughs) oh my god i know ordeth Luke, that it, did we just oh, become yeah. best friends? <laughs> and Lord Luke is like, oh, Watch Hill is completely decimated. Did Ordeath die? And he's like, no, he's still alive. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> also, like the two rivers trying to process, or Emmonsfield trying to process how like Terran Ferry got attacked. And they're like, we don't know anyone <laughs> from Terran Ferry. Like, do we care? Legit, Are we like, supposed to it's care? It's that Wendy Williams clip of, oh, she died? Aww. <laughs> anyway, like legit. Oh, I should have changed my intro, intro to "Hi, I'm Gary from Terran Ferry." Um, but yeah, they're like fuck Terran Ferry. It's like, 
Um, everyone in Terran Ferry is killed by Trollocs. Anyhow, so the White Cloaks come in, you know? So a deal is struck with Perrin. He says, okay, after this is done, after we've taken care of the Trollocs, arrest me, whatever. And so the White Cloaks are invited into Emmonsfield on the condition from Master Alvir. They're not going to cause any trouble. They're not going to arrest anyone. And they have to help with the fight against the Trollocs. And Dane goes, between sips of brandy, sure. And then he starts singing Sweet Caroline as they, like, Jared is, like, holding him up, and he's like, White Cloak, we got this. <laughs> like, <laughs> at one point, he just, like, mm. and they're like, no, we're good, we're good. Solid, stoic face, stoic face, stoic face. Uh, and it, uh, someone warns him, someone just, um, Luke tells Perrin, hey, uh, essentially keep your enemies close to you because you don't know what's going to happen. And uh, Perrin goes, I, maybe I need some bodyguards after all. And I'm like, the Whitney Houston movie? <laughs> or like Q Ryan Ooh, Reynolds? Ryan Reynolds for Lord <laughs> Luke. That'd be good. I, 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 I could get down with yeah, that. I, yeah. I think I like Ryan Reynolds' energy. I think him and Margot Robbie have a certain energy that I just love. Like Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn as Lanfear is, um, I think, especially with that uh, the accent that she, the Mister J. That's my uh, Harley Quinn impersonation. Yes. Um, I take donations <laughs> on Cameo, Vimeo, and uh, Coffee, so. You want a cameo from me as Harley Quinn? <laughs> Give me some money. Jordan Con's coming up. Throw Do that, that money. money. Toss a coin to your Venmo. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Valley <laughs> of Plenty. Um, so, uh, that leaves us to go to a phenomenal fucking chapter. Chapter 46, Veils. So, Yo, this we're going to Tanchico. <laughs> We're going to Tanchico. Um, my favorite thing is Eric on a couple episodes ago said we will. He would love to see a person of the Sean Chan kind of going against the grain of it, and this is kind of what we're seeing with Agianin. Um, I was telling Delusions pre-show how much I kind of discounted her the first time around because I was really paying attention to everything else. And when you reread the series, you get a chance to focus in on things more. And Egyanin's story so far has been just fucking amazing, you know? Yeah, she's... What do you think? Yeah. Like, what do you think of her, Eric? Has she registered with you yet? Because, like, I, I always... I, I just love her. She's such a slow burn, and she's so badass. Like, unapologetically badass. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Like, previous to this chapter, not at all. Uh, this is one of the few chapters that I uh, reread uh, prior to this episode. I'll do that with an episode if I feel like especially like something happened. And she's only just now kind of registering to me of like, oh, this is going to have implications. This is going to make ripples into the next couple of books. Uh, and I think, I think, Dalen, you're exactly right. Like, that prediction I made with, you know, wanting the, uh, just a break off of the, of the Shanshan. Like I, I'm so happy 
<laughs> that it's happening in this way. It is, there's so many cool things happening now. There's so many, again, like game changing stuff happening. Uh, so before, no, but now currently and going forward, yes. She has some really great fucking moments in this chapter. And so when the chapter starts, she's tracking down Florin Gelb, who, you know, in their ever mission to find the missing Damani, she's just kind of like, she's almost like his babysitter, you know, just watching what that little shit does. And, you know, she's watching him duck out into a doorway and she sees two women who she's like, they are dressed very nicely should not be on the streets and they have clubs like they're just walking by with like clubs and they're just like looking around and it's Nynaeve and Elaine wearing veils Elaine is struggling which little uh easter egg the reason why Elaine keeps having trouble with her veil and she keeps having to spit it out her nose she holds her nose up in the air so much that the veil just goes right into her mouth so she's constantly (laughs) spitting it out that was pointed out to me and I'm like yeah yeah amazing like we checks can't... out um before we, we move too far past my boy florin gelb have we touched on how we know him so do you remember in eye of the world eric when rand and matt jumped on to the spray with bail mm-hmm. doman and they knocked over the guard and that guard was like oh curse yeah. you that was Florin Gelb. <laughs> and he got kicked off Bale Doman's ship for basically being a little shit. And now he's back, baby. He's in Tanchico, incorrectly identifying Nynaeve as a Soldale. So re- reading the series first time for me has been a joy because it is a very well-written, very well-crafted universe. But I do believe there is a certain joy that you can only get in the second reading. Oh, yeah. When all of the pieces, you know, you've got the, the whole view of the field and you start, things start clicking into place. And that's the other thing. He, he fucking uses the whole buffalo. I mean... There's tons of new stuff being introduced, but like, dude, I read Eye of the World and I was like, all right, that's neat. And then hit after hit, there's shit popping up again and again and again. That's like, oh, that's why. And that's why, again, with with our uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. I've got it in the notes. Uh, Egyanen. Did oh, I get perfect. that right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, that's why I've got my eye on her more, because, you know, a lot of it I thought was just like, OK, we'll see them in a few books or something, but there's so much more immediacy. There's so much more just bit things that keep popping up. That's insane. Yeah. Okay. Wait until you find out Almond Blunt, oh, Almond Bunt is actually a Forsaken. No, I'm kidding. It's, he's not actually a Forsaken. Um, he's just <laughs> a humble a, apple farmer. That's a bomb to drop in the middle yeah. of this episode. <laughs> um, but no, it's, everything comes back and it's always... I've always said the first a first reread is fantastic. The series benefits from a reread because you once you know what happens and you see how carefully placed everything has been from the mm-hmm. beginning. Like there's some early installment weirdness, but even then, there's some shit that even rereading Eye of the World, I was like, oh, oh shit. And I told Eric pre-show uh, there's an event we're going to talk about later in the episode that was essentially foreshadowed in the great hunt but um but back to uh the uh chapter at hand so 
Elaine and Nynaeve are on the hunt for the Black Aja, and uh, they Elaine just went into Teleran Riyadh and kind of, again, got her little caught up sesh with Amis and Egwene, and Egwene is still in her uh, pigtails and very, very upset about it, and like, they're still shocked that Perrin, they're like, oh, I can't believe Perrin's not in the waste with them. And Nynaeve's like, he's probably off being a blacksmith somewhere. And you're like, oh, he's not. <laughs> he just, his entire family's dead, Nynaeve. Nynaeve, he's not okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's yeah, the same thing. You know, he's trying his best. Um, and then, uh, it's my favorite, like, little detail. Uh, Elaine feels someone grab her coin purse and she like luckily manages to not get it stolen. But she's like in the five days they've been in Tanchico, she's had three purses stolen. Like I love Elaine, but girl, like that's why there's a purse. You just get like a bag to wear over your shoulder, get a fanny pack or something like let nine Ave carry it. Just like what she's got to do is she's got to get a money clip. Oh and then when somebody God. tries to steal it, she throws it over there. You want it? Go get it. Street smarts. Street smarts. <laughs> no, it's it's it's. Yeah, it's. We, we, we have these. <laughs> we just have these like really nice character moments that really, without any text, just these moments really fill in the character. Like, yeah, of course she would never ever have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the first time it happened, <laughs> Elaine literally went. Oh my god, my name. They stole it. And it's like, of course, you ox brain fool. That's what they do here. And then Elaine just went, well, it's only one purse. I feel like, again, Elaine feels very much that, like, oh, for your summer break, did you guys also, like, I went to Paris and, oh my god, this one year, it was so bad. We only, like, we went to New York and we only, like, stayed in the Upper East Side. It was a little embarrassing. And what you guys do? Some people are poor, Elaine. Like, that, that sweet, <laughs> out-of-touch, rich person, like, no malice in it, but just kind of, like, like, it's that, uh, like, thing in Kimmy Schmidt where uh, <coughs> Jane Krakowski is a really rich character. She pulls out a water bottle unopened. She says, you want one? Oh, I'm good. She just throws it away and goes, anyway, like, it's very that, like, anyway. I love Elaine. Like, her and Nynaeve's dynamic is just so fun to read like very buddy cop like but they're one in the same almost kind of that insulated upbringing seeing the world for the first time and kind of dismantling everything you know yeah and their their ability to criticize each other like elaine being like oh like you know it was Nynaeve's decision that so that we were wearing these dresses and like she wouldn't admit to herself that like she couldn't uh just wear linens and or farmers' uh, woolens or whatever. And, like, the shift, I love the shift of perspective we get here from Egyanen, who's looking at these two being like, these girls should not be walking. They should be in one of those, yeah. like, chariot things being carried around town. <laughs> they don't fit in. And then we get to <laughs> Elaine and, Agu and Nynaeve, and they're like, we <laughs> look like we were born and raised in Tenshiko. Like, this is who I am. I'm yeah. a Tenshiko. Like, oh. she's like, other than our voice, oh, we got this. They're like, wait till we get back to the White Tower. Yeah, legit. Like, we are going to get back. I'm going to be named Omerlin myself. Like, 
the queen who destroyed the black Aja. Like, very obviously, like, how do you do, fellow kids? Like, it is fantastic. Like, it's like, I almost said to adopt the, uh, that doobie, but I'm like, oh, that's Ileon. But still, like, like, and they just braided their hair, but it's, no, it's a fantastic, like, just this good jump cut of, ooh, they're fucked, and then cut. We look great. I think we nailed it. (laughs) i will say i have been enjoying this dynamic especially without like i love Egwene. she's she's one of my girls i love her i love her not being here in this dynamic i feel like there was a bit of chafing with her there and i think that's a bit of a a very natural way to go with it but for elaine and and not to really kind of get their spotlights together has just been mm, love it i love it yeah it's a beautiful. I mean, it's a beautiful description. Elaine getting shit faced, and then going up to Nynaeve, and Nynaeve's like, "Come here, want to show you something kind of cool?" And dunks her head in the water, and then is like, "You sober yet? No, not yet." Boom, back down. Like that really, like, <laughs> yeah. And I feel like had Egwene been with him, she would have been like, oh, "Nynaeve, that wasn't very nice," you know. I like where she. I like that she's out in the waste, uh, being able to bully Rand a little bit, you know. And it's where she belongs, but no. And just getting yeah. her keener on, like just living her best yeah. brown nose mm-hmm. life. And I, I like love this for Egwene. I love that she doesn't need to compete with Nynaeve. She can just be in it yeah. for herself instead of like the, the weird, you know, dichotomy that they have now just because of, you know, protege to equal and all of the shit that they got going on. Meanwhile, Elaine is like so oblivious yeah. three quarters of the time. She doesn't even recognize. And she's like, she's happy to let Nynaeve yeah. lead. I, I, <laughs> just in the show, I really away. want Elaine to be taking pictures as they're walking down the street. No, the selfie stick of like walking down like the bad tourists, <laughs> like taking pictures. Like, Nynaeve, smile. We're on the hunt for the Black Aja. Oh my God, this is so much. Let's go get little gift i think we can get little gifts i think rand would want something <laughs> don't you think um and so they get mugged essentially um Florin gelb's men start coming at them and um elaine manages a few hits as does nynaeve and then uh Egeon and steps in and goes full fucking natasha romanoff like full like knocking them down and one of the crowning moments of this is elaine with her stave in hand goes uh fuck forward the white line like does the uh camelin army (laughs) and like she in the middle of the white line i love her and even she admits that it's ridiculous but i'm like i love that elaine kind of realizes she's being a little stupid but fully commits to the stupid bit because she's like i can't back down now fuck fuck like it is so great it is so awkward it is so just like <laughs> i just need a shot of just like eggy on him like blood running down her face just like like it needs the bojack rule of one fuck every season and i think eggy gets the fuck of that season of <laughs> fuck it is fantastic it is peak elaine and i love it so much um but oh. Gosh. Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, no, I was just going to say, we, we go from peak Elaine and, like, Nynaeve, you know, 
always criticizing Elaine for for being ignorant of, you know, the ways of the common folk. And then they, like, they see Egyanen and they're chatting with her because they saved, uh, you know, she helped save their lives and the only one who did. And then Nynaeve friggin' Elmira just drops their yeah. real names like yeah. it's nothing. Just like I am a wise and, and knowing traveler. Oh, me? I'm Nynaeve Elmira. You might know me as best friend of the Dragon Reborn. And the girl with me? That's Elaine Trakend. That's right, Trakend, as in the ruling seat of Andor, the most powerful nation. Yeah. Pretty neat, it's like, huh? I know you just saw my friend channeling. We're also Aes Sedai. Like, and Egeon is just, like, listening to this, like, God, what? What? Like, just, like, thoroughly just gooped and gagged by all of this. And, yeah, no, I love it. It's like, my name is Nynaeve Almir. I live at 3857. My phone number is my social security. Like, well, I'm wondering, too, if that's because I, I don't have a, a, a decision one way or the other for me, but I'm wondering if that's a bit of arrogance or if that's just, you know, Nynaeve seems to really rise to the occasion when she's challenging other people and she, you know, like, likes to be that authority figure. But it feels like with Elaine, that edge is almost like gone, you know, like, especially with Egwene in the mix, it almost feels like she's always trying to lead. She's always trying to posture. And it feels like it does. It feels very out of character. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, like, how, why did that happen? Like, how, how does that happen just like that? I think. Yeah, you can't even blame it on <laughs> Taviran. Like, all you can, I don't know, is it the adrenaline of, like, beating a guy with your, you know, club? Well, and I, you know, and I could, I could totally excuse that for that because I know they make the conscious effort not to, to channel and stuff. And I do know that, I mean, geez, I mean, just thinking about in general, if that's your defense system for, for any of this, I'd probably be pooping myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, it's just like one of those moments that definitely stands out to me, um, especially on like a reread, just when, you know, because they, they, they travel with Moraine through Eye of the World. <laughs> How we doing um, over there, Dathan? So, in my uh, preparation, in my preparation for this episode, um, I was going to get a copy of The Great Hunt, and I thought I had my copy of The Great Hunt near me on my bookshelf. Plot twist: I did not. Dun, dun, but dun. anyhow, it is a great. It, I, yeah. <laughs> um. So they finally they. So in another like great moment of we met this stranger, come to our hotel with us. Like let's, let's have, have tea. tea. Like you're not dangerous. Like it's very So they invite Eki on in to their uh hotel and Julian is waiting for them. And again, like there's no like tell us later. He goes like, Hey, hey guys, by the way, found the black Aja, found where they're hiding, it's an empty house, haven't gone in, and it like they are they don't know who Egyanin is and they're just fully like so yeah we're on the hunt for the black aja you could be a black aja in disguise but that doesn't matter to us right now um like they are just thrilled at having another female friend right now like i think that's what it is it's like they've been stuck with julian and tom that they're like another woman yay thank you they've been struggling in tanchigo for a bit too long 
Yeah, a little bit too much, uh, too many, too many high C's <laughs> for Nynaeve and Elaine without any real yeah. human interaction. Oh my God. Um, but yes, they have tea time with Eggy Annan. We get like another amazing perspective from Eggy Annan where she's like, I don't know who these Aes Sedai are, but like, yeah. not what I was <laughs> expecting. This complete and utter meltdown shit show and like whatever they're bringing to the table. <laughs> it's a disaster. It's a hot mess. Yeah, and like, I'm here for like it. It's like they're talking with the innkeeper about like clothes and fashion. And it's so just like casual. And she's like, shit. I thought they were supposed to be so like put together. And so uh, dark friend and uh, it's so great. I think it's like how perfect that this sort of Sean Chan, like, def like, Getting, person who's getting away from the Sean Chan just sees these two idiots and is like perfect. That is that is what I said. I truly are wonderful. Um, but uh, they are having tea and Tom comes into the room and says, "Hey, uh, so not so great news. The White Cloaks have taken over the Panarch's palace and Amathera is going to be placed as Panarch." And my name's like, okay. Who cares? And it's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The streets think that the council has essentially said, no, not Amathera, fuck her. It's not going to be good. So he says, Bale Doman has given you guys some guard. If you guys are going to go out, if you have to do this, here are some men and a carriage that we can use. And it's said a little later, Egeonan's eyes just widen at the mention of Baeldom. She's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Like, <laughs> literally nearly shits herself at that. And she's like, well, this has been fun. I gotta go, guys. And she bolts out. And then what has been lighthearted fair turns awful quickly as um, the innkeeper comes in and says, uh, there's a woman here to see you. And immediately Elaine and Nynaeve uh, Elaine starts channeling air she's like just in case and this woman comes in and just says stop channeling and immediately Elaine and Nynaeve have just this overwhelming urge to please this woman and anything you say and I will do anything for you and it's horrifying um, the uh, yeah. the woman just says like tell me everything what are you guys planning and so they tell her about they're hunting for whatever can control rand they are hunting the black aja they tell her about them stealing from the white tower it's awful and we get this woman is clearly a forsaken she has very close ties to I mean, she name drops Ravine and is like, oh, I would love to see Ravine's eyes the day he meets yeah. you unblocked to Nynaeve. Like, yeah. what in the fuck? And she's kind of like, no! oh, the wall's dead. I knew it. And then Ashamael said, yeah, I figure. They're all flops. Yeah. And then yeah, it's the first time that, uh, because I, I think one of my critiques too has been like, every Forsaken we've met, they've just been dusted like immediately. Like they seem very foolish and very incapable. But this was like the first one after Lanfear where it's like, oh, okay, we got some cooking now. Like, yeah, uh, I, I'm afraid. <laughs> so like any, any speculation first, like what, 
what she was doing to the girls when she walked into the room, why they were so eager to please her, and also who it could so, be. Uh, all right, I'm going to field them one at a time. What was the first one? What did I say? What did she, yeah, what did so she I do think, to them? You know, I think this is some like old world magic, some type of, you know, not necessarily using the source or the true power. I think this is something a little bit more ancient, a little bit more fucked up. This feels like she like fucking mind linked to them or something and, you know, is compelling them or like, you know, like some type of mind control. Like they felt compelled. Exactly. To so it's like her. some type of charm, mm-hmm. some type of mind control, and it feels a lot stronger, uh, at the very least, you know very very least a lot stronger than what uh they can whip up uh who do i think it is i mean uh definitely a forsaken but uh i don't know if i even have a ton of information on the ones that we're missing if the ones that we haven't met yeah i don't think like they they certainly haven't all been named so i would be like i would be pretty surprised (laughs) if you were able to let me pull up the wiki (laughs) but you don't think i mean i guess I guess my question is, like, is this oh, gotcha. here? No, I think, because Lanfear kind of operates in the shadows more often than not, in my in, in my experience. And this was a very much, like, an attack, like a, fr- a whole frontal assault of the mind. So I think this is someone different. I think this is somebody who is powerful, but not necessarily savvy, like in the way that, uh, like, it feels like Lanfear and uh, the, the one guy who's, Lanfear is, yeah, Lanfear is very blunt yes. about what she wants, yes. which is Lan's dick. <laughs> like, that's like her driving exactly. motivation. And, and, and uh, there is a telecock. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but who's who's the one that's running the city that that sent the uh, the hounds? R- oh, um, yes, oh, Samael? like. In Alien, who's... who's yeah, like, it yeah. feels like, you know, they kind of are, are spinning the webs a little bit. They've got a bit of a long play happening. This felt much more immediate, much more direct. I think it's somebody we haven't met before, and it's a, it's a powerful player, I think. Yeah, I mean, she, she even says to them, right? Like, I didn't know that you were in the city until I felt yeah. you channeling. And, like, 11 to 2, I can see why you held off. So she was, like... Did she know that they were already in the city? Did she know about mm-hmm. their intentions? Um, there's there's a lot we don't know about this this um, you know self described this person who likes to you know sit back a little bit and play the game yeah. a little bit more carefully. I think is what comes yeah. out in her conversation with Nynaeve and Elaine. Like, be careful! Don't just you know <laughs> jizz bomb uh, weaves <laughs> out in the middle of the wild when it's eleven yeah, exactly. versus two. And she even says this mysterious woman, like she likes to play it slow, very, mm-hmm. very slow. Because Ishamael just kind of went boopity boop, I am Baazamon, and look where it got him. You know, I right. think there's a more cunning with the female Forsaken. You know, yeah. this woman and Landfear have been very, you know, I mean, granted, Landfear has been very much like, hey, you know, but I also think they've allowed their sort of work to work in the long term. I mean, Lanfear is the reason why the freaking girls went to Tyr, because she 
pretended to be Elsie Grinwell and was like, guys, follow me, you know? Yeah. But even like the, the, the more like curious thing about this interaction too was she, she lets him live, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very like specific curious choice because again, like there's so many players in this series with all their own different agendas and stuff. And just because one person is helping another one, it doesn't necessarily mean for the good of that person. So it feels like this massive game of cat and mouse. Oh, yeah. And so before this woman leaves, she tells Elaine in Night Eighth, when I get up, you are going to forget everything that happened, everything that was said. I am a woman who thought you guys were friends of mine. We had tea, and then I left. And then she gets up and goes. And Elaine and Night Eighth pick up the conversation right where they left off, and they're kind of like, did we already talk about this it's just this great moment that's so chilling when you think about it how you know they've encountered her forsaken and they can't even remember and they don't even know that it was a forsaken you know yeah no like you know and conversations of consent aside that type of mind control mind wiping power is easily the one that gives me the heebie-jeebies like in the series oh like gosh, that's yeah. like reading about like more rain like throwing fireballs from the sky and like you know making storms appear it's like yeah that's so cool that's so cool i wish that was like in real life that'd be so cool i read this stuff and i get i get goosebumps (laughs) yeah it's freaky shit it's horrifying i mean we talked about in the last episode just what can be done with the power like boiling blood within someone and like using it to stop someone's heart i mean it's freaky it's very horrifying yeah and we, we we haven't seen a lot of that stuff just because we haven't been in the headspace of a lot of channelers who can go against yeah. the three oaths right so we, we wouldn't see i don't think we would see an Aes Sedai in the current age being able to do something like this just by virtue of mm-hmm. being bound um by those oaths so it's it's certainly introducing the more perspectives we get it's introducing a lot more elements to the power that we haven't really thought of and it some of it is like yeah twisted and yeah this the mind control or you know compelling people is um it's horrifying it's like all of the benefits of torture without actually experiencing like the physical trauma that accompanies it right so you're just kind of left with the mental trauma, I think, um, of kind of being delved and divulging information that you that you didn't mean to um, involuntarily. It's, uh, it's yeah, no, it, yeah, it's freaky. Horrifying. It's I agree with you, Eric. Just very, very. Uh, if I could have any power from these books, it is not the uh, ability to control people's minds. I think I would pass on that. That is a hard pass for me. Um, but. From that, we go back to our girl, Agionin, and she's looking at the men outside of the Three Plum Inn? Three Plum Inn. And she's like, I hope they don't. Three Plum Court. Three Plum Court. And she's kind of just like, oh shit, I hope they don't recognize me from when I took uh, Bale Doman to Falm. And she is thinking about Lane and Nynaeve, and this is what uh, we were talking about a little bit earlier about having someone kind of take away, go away from the Sean Chan. She says, 
Suddenly she realized her palms were damp. I said I, women who could wield the power and not decently leashed. She had sat at the same table with them, talked with them. They were not at all what she had expected. She could not dig that thought out of her head. They could channel, therefore they were dangerous to proper order, therefore they must be safely leashed, and yet, not at all what she had been taught. It could be learned, learned. As long as she could avoid Bale Doman, he, could, he would surely recognize her. She should be able to return. She had to learn more, more than ever she had to. I think we're starting to see for the first time, you know, because the Sean Chan are horrifying, you know, but seeing someone question the ideology they were born with or born with taught and kind of go, I need to know more. I need to educate myself about this is really the shakeup that we need. I think this book is so full of like shakeups, things changing the world mm -hmm. shifting and all of that. And so it's really cool to see, you know? And so uh, this chapter ends with, it doesn't do that big paragraph break that usually a POV shift does, but we do see someone in disguise watching Egyanin, and he kind of goes, I need to figure out what she's up to. I have the funds to do it. And next time she's back, I'm going to confront her. So there's a little bit of danger there, you know? Yeah, Sean, Sean Chan watching Sean, Sean watching Chan. Watching you, watching me. Bum, bum, bum. 